0: So book of Ecclesiastes, everyone open it on up, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I've got to say, um, you guys look pretty good. I know it's the first week of summer, so everyone's kids get out of school and they just run to the beach, they run to vacations. That's not been the case for me and my children. Um, we've just been sitting in the house because my kids have these mystery things going on with their bodies that we can't figure out. Silas's tonsils are like the sizes of golf balls. So, um, so pray for those little guys, I appreciate it. And now we're in Ecclesiastes, and I was worried, because last week we talked about life being meaningless so much that I had visions of you guys just falling apart through the week. I thought, surely, surely, everyone's just sitting on their couch, and they're just getting covered with Oreos and Doritos, and they just have empty Diet Coke cans and PBR cans all around them, and they're just saying it's all meaningless. If you missed last week, welcome to the most depressing book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter two today. Now, before we get in, just a quick recap, Solomon wants us to know, King Solomon, son of David, and this book was written either by him or with him as the source, so about a thousand years before Jesus came, Solomon wants us to know that he has pursued the good life and he has found it meaningless. The other word is vanity. So in this translation, it'll say vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In the NIV, it'll say meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. The Hebrew word is hebel. It it appears over 38 times in this short, short book. So Solomon is driving this point across that life is meaningless. And today, we're going to look at his experiment. Today, we're going to look at how he presses into all of the things that strangely, we press into to try and find fulfillment, to try and find pleasure, to try and find joy, and he finds it all meaningless. He finds it all vanity. So we're going to start in chapter two, and we're going to try to make our way all the way through chapter two. We're going to do it quickly. So buckle up. Hold on tight. And here we go. Chapter two, verse one. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Okay, we're gonna stop there for a second. So Solomon does this pleasure challenge. He says, I'm gonna set my heart to pursue pleasure. I'm gonna set my heart to pursue the things that this life tells me will give me happiness and joy. And what I I love about this is that in some ways, it's almost like seasons of life. Because you know that in your your early teen years, your late teen years, you probably think a little bit differently now about life than you did back then, right? Hopefully. If you answered no, we have therapy for you. Because in, in the teen years, Life is very, very different. There's different pressures. There's different pursuits. There's different social things that you're engaging. And then you go from teens to 20s, and that changes a little bit. In in the 20s, the modern-day 20-year-olds, there's a lot of confusion. What do I do? Who am I? What am I going to have as a career? Then you get into your 30s you start having children you think okay this is crazier than i thought it was going to be i can't believe that these kids take up so much of my time then you go from 30s to 40s then in your 40s your children are getting old you're thinking this is pretty cool because now i have a workforce but these kids are taking all my money maybe your kids go to college when you're in your 40s or 50s and you thought you would get less bills as they got older but you realize kids just get more expensive and then you get into your 50s and you launch your kids out of your house, maybe your 50s or your 60s, and they call this the empty nest phase. This is the phase that I'm looking forward to personally where you can just kick them all out. You cut off all the ties. You say, I love you, but not that much. And it's just you and your wife again, like date nights, come back, you can go to the movies, no more diapers. It's a glorious season. And then maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, somewhere in there, you become a grandparent and you get to do what I think is the best job description ever, you get to take your grandbabies who are somewhat related to you, stuff them full of sugar and hyperactivity, take them to amusement parks, and then send them home as terrors in the night back to their parents. And, and here's the best part about this whole thing aging process, as we're going to see it in Ecclesiastes, it it really gets lumped in because there's the party scene, and then there's the throwing himself at work. Solomon said, hey, you want to party? I partied. You want to work? Let me show you how much I work. You think working was good? Well, guess what? We're all going to die. And that's the short version of today. Okay? So so here's what you have to know, though. As he's starting this off, he says, "I, I, the preacher, I've set to enjoy myself. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So Solomon is going to throw this party, and it's more epic than any party you've ever thrown. And if you want to try to throw a party that matches Solomon's party, you're going to have to go back into the book of Kings and see just how ridiculous his parties were. You need to remember that Solomon, from birth, had the best education that could have possibly existed in his time. Solomon, from birth, was lavished upon because he was a son of the king, being groomed to become the king. Then Solomon, once he became king, was given wisdom from God, a gift from God to have wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm also going to make you more wealthy. I'm also going to make you more powerful. I'm also going to give you things beyond measure. And as I've researched this, Solomon is listed, depending on, on where you break down inf, uh, inflation, he's, he's easily within the top 10 richest people of all time. If you, if you take the inflation, and I don't know that anyone has actually been as rich as Solomon was because of what we learn in the Bible, but, but here's what I need you to, to realize. He didn't just go see a comedy show. Like some of you guys are like, oh, I want to go have a good time. I want to have a date night. I want to go out with the wife. I don't want to see a movie. What are you going to do? Go to a comedy show. He didn't just do that. He didn't just say, I'm going to go see Kevin Hart. He bought Kevin Hart. Okay? Or are we get- he didn't just go get the band. He's like, I like this band. I'm not just going to load it up on my iPod. I'm not going to load it up on my iPhone. I'm going to hire this band, and then I'm going to make them live in this house that I'm going to build for them. He didn't just throw a, a little a kegger party in his backyard. I know that some of you guys think like, well, you're, Ryan, you're telling me that Solomon partied, but he's a Bible character. So, did, you know, did he really party or did he partay? You know what? I, no. I promise you, his parties were bigger than your little 4th of July soirees. He didn't buy a couple of ribeyes and little fireworks. He did some insanely massive things for his party. So you don't have to flip there. But if you want to geek out with me Bible nerdy-wise, 1 Kings chapter 4. It talks about Solomon's provisions that he needed for one day. This is for one day. For one day was 30 cores of fine flour. That's about 222 liters, 6,000 pounds, give or take, something like that. 60 cores of meal. So he's got tons of flour, literally tons of cornmeal, 10 fat oxen. This is one day, you guys. This makes Texas barbecues look like a little snack shack. 10 Fat oxen for one day, 20 pasture fed cattle for one day. This is what they're eating. A hundred sheep. And this is besides deer, gazelles, robux that's not a coffee drink, Google it and fat and fowl. For he had dominion over all of the region west of the Euphrates. So for one day, for one day, he had what every commentary I've read a party that would estimated about 15,000 people. And he didn't just do this one day. He did it every day. He partied so hard every day because he wants to set his heart to this experiment. Can I be happy in this life? I know what this life says will make me happy, so I am just going to hit it hard. So he starts throwing party, and it doesn't say how long he did this for, but it was an extended period of time, at least months possibly probably years that every day he was having wine every day he was wiping out vineyards it goes on to describe the vineyards that he was wiping out the animals he was wiping out every day he was throwing this parties to such a degree that the the tribes in the north ended up becoming strained because his parties were wiping out their farms this is how much he partied and I don't know about you guys um I, I didn't party like Solomon partied but I've I've gotten in enough trouble in high school to know that I don't like partying every day. And I don't know if some of you guys are here. This is my past that I'm confessing. So there's, there's the way that you party where you can go home and just be kind of tired. And then there's the way that you're, you party and you wake up the next day and you make promises to God, I will never do that again. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Solomon, Solomon partied Every single day, he said, God, I have set myself to find out if this pleasure can satisfy me. And look at the things that he does, because I, I need us to see this. Laughter, it's mad. He hired Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart was funny for a second, but not so much the third, third time, not so much the fifth time. The band, the band was nice for a second, but then it got older, and you got to get another band, and that band got older, and we all do this, right? We all do this, my wife knows that I do this. The only reason she can endure my music taste is because she knows I will grow weary of it within a week or two. So only a week or two will I have that one Taylor Swift song on repeat every single morning. And then I jump over to Justin Bieber and then back over to worship because Jesus convicts me and then Taylor Swift and Bieber, that's my cycle. That's the cycle that I do. And then he said pleasure. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, over a thousand women, some for political purposes, some just for pleasure some to seek out sexual conquest. I know that there's this weird uh, sexuality thing right now where the church is seen as this ancient, you know, we're a bunch of uh, small-minded, you know, we should just let it all be free. Well, I I want everyone to know whether you're in the church, whether you're not in the church, whether you're new to church, God created sex, but he created it for a purpose. And Solomon wants you to know that, hey, if you think sex is the answer, I had more of it than any of you will ever have and it left me wanting. It was vanity. And as a matter of fact, we go on, and if you look at Solomon's life, it really broke his soul and drove him away from God. This is the reality of what happens when you walk away from God's commandments. It's not just that you get the smack on the race. It's not that you're just making God sad. It's it's literally fracturing your relationship with your father who loves you as you walk away from him. And Solomon wants you to know, hey, you're going to do it with laughter you're going to get tired of it you're going to do it with music pleasure band you're going to get tired of it you're going to do it with sex you're going to get tired of it there's something that you're missing and then he goes on to the next one and this is a big one i stretched my heart i searched my heart to know how to cheer my body with wine now i know because we have a wide variety we have a very diverse family here we've got some people who are like alcohol is bad no matter what and then we have other people who are like life without alcohol is bad no matter what we have the spectrum I need you to know that when Solomon pushed into this, and it, don't just hear the word wine and say, well, you know, I don't drink wine. This doesn't apply to me. I'm a pure whiskey drinker. This applies to you. He's saying, I searched to inebriate myself, to escape, and by that escape, I thought that I would finally have the happiness I was looking for, and I, he didn't find it. With all of his heart, Still trying to be guided in wisdom. He went laughter. He went pleasure. He went alcohol. He tried to press into the things that the world told him in the party phase would be good. And it said it was vanity. So Then you go from the party phase. You're done with your 20s. You can only have that sensation of that much partying in your 20s. And I know this because now that I'm in my 30s, even a mild party for me has to be followed up with Motrin and a lot of water. This is a mild party. I can't do the party thing. I don't even like the party thing. So we we switch gears in life. And and even in our culture, and I love how it's laid out in this passage because he goes from partying and then in verse four, he does what the rest of us do in our life. Look at verse four. I made great works... I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem. So you go from the party phase, and then just like in our life, you go from party phase, you're confused, you're discombobulated, then you go into your building phase. And if you don't think this follows life here, you haven't been looking around. Because the college-age kids will party, and then all of a sudden, they're kind of coming out of that party phase. Some do it earlier than others. And then what happens after they start getting married, having a few kids, and moving into Fishhawk? We're comparing, like, I got a pool. Hey, I built a pool. Oh, check out my new tree. I mean, I love it. I love uh, landscaping. I just borrowed this weed whacker. Not a weed whacker. What's that thing called that trims bushes really quickly? It's not a chainsaw. Hedge trimmer. I, got a he- I borrowed a hedge trimmer. You should have seen me yesterday. I was having a glorious time with this hedge trimmer. This is a gas-powered, bush-eating, destroying hedge trimmer. It took me a while to figure out how to start it when I got home. Um, but after I got that down, I literally could just walk up and down my yard. Mmm. Mm-hmm. And for context, the last time I trimmed my hedges was with these things. Seven hours later, I didn't need to build a pool. I was living in my own pool. So this hedge trimmer was a godsend. And I trimmed it all up. And then I stepped back and I looked at my hedges. And I thought, ah, oh, look at my yard. It looks good. And then I remembered, I'm preaching on Solomon tomorrow. He didn't just have a hedge, he grew a forest. It it wasn't like like I've got these three bushes in front of my house, technically four, but I don't acknowledge the fourth one because he refuses to cooperate. I've got three of these rectangle bushes, and then I have one that's the same bush, and it's just crazy. You know, you know how it's like with kids. Like you get three okay ones and one of them's just crazy. He doesn't want to cooperate, he doesn't grow in any shape, his branches go every direction. So I don't know what to do with it. I left it there. If you want to drive by my house and not hit my mailbox, you can see that bush is there and it's crazy. And I, I thought, I can't, even, I can't even manage like 10 bushes, a giant hedge, and a plumeria tree. That's all I'm working on getting to grow. My other plants grow. I have bamboo grows great. I have this other tree grows great. I got a plumeria tree. I can't keep this alive for the life of me because Silas keeps breaking it and ripping it in half and taking the leaves off. But um. But, but I was so proud of my, my four shrubs. I was, I look at my house sometimes and I think, oh man, this is so cool. Because if, if you don't know, I, I came from California. In California, you can spend like $500,000 and you get a little shack that was built in the 50s. So we moved from 1,600 square feet to this, to me, it's a big old house. If I can lose my children and hide successfully for at least 15 minutes, that's a big enough house to be a victory lifelong house. So th- this is my house now. And I've got a backyard. In California, you don't get backyards, at least as a pastor. Like pastors in California, you don't get backyards, you don't get that type of stuff. I have a backyard that kids come over and they play in my backyard and they go away. It's really cool. I go fishing in a pond in my backyard. And I stand, triumphant man. And Solomon looks at me and says, buddy, when I built houses, I built the most immaculate houses known to man. I didn't use just stone. I crusted everything in marble and bronze and gold. When I filled my cabinets, they weren't filled with this shattering porcelain stuff. I had made, Solomon would tell us, silver so common that it was as common as rocks. So all of his cups were made out of gold. You need to hear me, when Solomon built his house, taking him uh, two decades between his house and the temple that he rebuilt, he started having only gold cups for coffee. This is the stuff that rappers with gold teeth dream about doing. This isn't, this isn't like, oh yeah, like I really saved up and I just wanted to get this one gold cup. This is Solomon saying, you think your house is good? Look at my cupboard. And he would open it to only gold cups and plates. Could you imagine the problem you would have with theft if all you owned were gold cups? I wouldn't invite anybody over ever. I mean that's just a temptation and Solomon Solomon as he did this wants us to know that hey I went the party route it didn't work so I went the builder route I built the best houses the biggest houses I built houses for tons of my wives I mean talk about alimony it's not just like one two it's 700 wives 300 concubines plus potentially more and he's building houses for them putting them all up because there was no sister wives single house thing back then and then he says I I then I went to gardening you guys have your little plumeria tree you guys you have a little pineapple plant out front that's so cute I built a forest some of you guys have built something comparable some of you have given your lives to work and you've built up great things. You've built up businesses. Praise God. You've built up houses for your families. Praise God. Solomon says, yeah, 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 I did that and more. And I found out it was all vanity. This last, uh, this last weekend, it's been a crazy weekend in Florida, right? For those of you who read the news, one of my favorite singers was killed in Orlando on Friday night. Christina Grimmie, she was on The Voice, for those of you who are Voice fans, but she was a YouTube star far before, long before that. And somebody from St. Petersburg drove over there took her life, 22 years old, loved Jesus by the way, Uh, her favorite song uh, out of her mouth she said was one of her favorite songs was In Christ Alone and and in that song In Christ Alone it's there's a line that says till he returns or calls me home and man as a 22 year old on the rise God called her home and then last night if you didn't see the news another shooting happened in Orlando I think it's estimated at this point approximately 24 have died, 50 have died so 50 have died. So I, I'm guessing that means the number of injuries has gone to deaths. Tire, whatever it is, it's higher and it's sickening and it's dangerous. And it's this world with the brokenness of sin. And Solomon says, look, all of these things that you're toiling for. And here's why we, I want to talk about that death, because Solomon's going to bring it right to the front, he says. In verse, verse 8, we're going to read from verse 8 on for a little bit. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and proverbs. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. I became great. I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He is pursuing everything, every pleasure going on. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and This was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he's saying, everything you ever worked for, there's nothing to be gained under the sun. And here's his reasoning for it. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what? can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. So here's the event he's talking about, death. Now, Solomon gives us a little glimmer. He wants us to give us little glimmers of hope because the book, while being probably the most depressing book in the Bible, does not end depressing. So he says in the midst of this passage, he says, look, wisdom is better than folly. Some of you have tried wisdom. Some of you have tried folly. Some of you are still in wisdom. Some of you are still in folly. And folly in this passage is talking about a walking in darkness. It's saying, Solomon's saying, look, I tried to walk in wisdom, and I did discern that wisdom is, is better than folly, but then I realized it all ends the same way. We all die. Verse 15, Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then I have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also Vanity. Verse 16, for of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. Man, this guy needs a hug. He's saying, okay, I partied. I built. Then I just said, you know, this building thing, it's, it's just meaningless. It's like a striving after the wind because the trees are gonna grow, then they're gonna die. So then I, I just pursued wisdom and I realized wisdom is better than folly. But guess what? What He kept looking at it and looking. At it and he said, okay, even if I am wise, the next guy might be a fool. And guess what? We both die. Because here's the reality, the, the super sobering reality. If this does not sober your mind instantly, I don't know what will. Because it's the only topic that our culture refuses to talk about with any seriousness. And that's the fact that within a short number of years, And i mean a short number of years the youngest person in this room right now is two weeks old so for for the youngest person in this room baby eleanor she has maybe 85 years 85 years until she's going to meet the same fate that we are all going to have met probably before her we are all going to die we don't know when we don't know how God only knows why. And this is the the issue that Solomon's having. This is what is going to stick into his soul like a knife. He's saying, I I partied, and then I built, and then I tried to be wise, and then I looked at the fool, and we're all going to die. No matter what your view is, on the science side of it, the reality is that at some point, all of us are going to die. Some of you have opted for cremation. Some of us are going to get painted up literally like a clown and put in a box. Literally. I'm not, I'm not being crass. Like they're going to put you in your Sunday best. They're going to put makeup on me for the first time in my life and put me in a box and put me in the ground with my Bible, hopefully. One of them. And then that's it. Whatever I worked for, I don't see it anymore. Whether I was a wise person or a foolish person, I still landed in the same box. Whether I made good choices or bad choices, same box. So now some of you are thinking, well, that's it. I'm just going to make a bunch of bad choices till I end up in the box. That, that might be your thinking, and that would be the thinking of what the Bible would call a foolish person. But Solomon is letting you know that all of the foolish choices he made over the years led him to despair. They didn't lead him to joy. They didn't lead him to God. They led him to despair. Because this world has senseless deaths in it. Senseless deaths. I've I've gone back and I've watched uh, Christina Grimmie's video, her last video she posted telling her fans to come out and meet her at the venue. I've watched it at least 20 times. I thought, she had no idea. That was her last tweet, that was her last Facebook post. And I know there's a sense of invincibility for For most human beings we never think that today is our day i want you to be prepared that today could be your day so that you could live with purpose today and the purpose we're going to get to at the end of this passage so i'm going to read verse 17 now so i hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind he hated life because it ends in death and it bothered him that all that he worked for would just go and be gone Verse 18, he gets even happier. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. So if you don't like your job, know that you're in good company. Solomon did not like his job. He hated it. I hated this toil that I told under to the sun, seeing, love this part, that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Isn't that spoken like a true like CEO or business leader? I've built all of this up and I hate it. Because I know the guy coming after me is some trust fund baby, and he's going to jack it all up. It's a type A guy. The type A people, men or women, we're so driven and we're so right that anyone coming after us is terrible. And this is what Solomon is getting mad at. He's already getting mad at it. Now, you might be on the other side of the spectrum. Maybe you are the head of where you're at in life. Maybe you are at the top of your job, the top of your organization, and you're thinking, this is going great. Eventually, someone younger is coming up behind you. They could be wise. They could be foolish. Or you could be that younger person. And I love this. And young, young people, if you're like around my age or younger, we have this weird, sick disease. It's called, I think I'm better than everyone older than me. And, and the young people are like, I don't think I have that. You're proving it right now. Because we look at the way that they're doing it, and we think, that's so broken, that's so wrong. But guess what they did when they were our age? They looked at at their generation, and they said, I could do better than that. And, And sometimes it does happen in generations, but for the most part, it's a symptom of age. For the most part, it's a symptom of the young coming up and not having the wisdom yet to understand that the people who are ahead of us on the curve, they're still alive and doing things for a reason. They've been beaten by life and they've weathered storms and they have wisdom that we do not yet have that phrase. And I've said this before, um, you know, you're, people say, oh, you're much older for your years, or you are wise beyond your years. I remind people all the time. You are not wise beyond your years. You are exactly wise for the exact number of years you have lived. Now, you might have been beat up a little bit more than someone else. And that gives you some more wisdom. But you are exactly filled with the wisdom, the that a 35-year-old person or a 36 or a 50 or a 7-year-old person at your age could possibly have. The question is, is what are you going to do now when you're where Solomon is? He's worked. He's gained. And now he's worrying about who's going to take all of this empire from him, whether it's what you leave to your children, whether it's what you leave to the next employee coming behind you. Solomon doesn't want any of that. He is upset about it. So I love this. He gets even happier. And by happier, I mean more depressed. Verse 20. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. This poor guy, he set out on this conquest say, I'm going to just party. didn't work. I'm just going to build stuff. It didn't work. I'm going to earn stuff and be the smartest I can be. It didn't work. Because in the end, he realizes he's going to die. So then he says, I'm going to make all this stuff, and somebody's going to walk right in, unfairly, getting all of the stuff that I built. This is what happens to the, uh, if, if you watch the true life of lottery winners, it's tragic that the number of lottery winners whose lives spiral out of control is tragic because they inherit something they didn't toil for they didn't have the wisdom for the size of the britches that that money gave them now here's the other crazy part none of us think that we would be that dumb with the money but guess what none of them thought they would be that dumb with the money well no you don't understand a like, I, I went to school I got a D in economics in college. Good job. $100 million is a lot different than $10. $10 you can blow on 10 tacos at Jack in the Box that you guys know nothing about because there's no Jack in the Box here. $100 million you can eat tacos till the world explodes. Solomon said it's a great evil, a great evil, that it would be handed over to someone who didn't toil for it. We know this is true with life, right? So, if you're an employer and you don't let your employees learn things, if you don't shape your employees, they can become very entitled, very spoiled, same as kids same same thing, or sometimes with friendships, sometimes with friendships you you just you have a friend, and he always gets away with everything. nobody holds them accountable for anything. they become entitled, they get stuff they don't deserve and And Solomon is saying, "Look, this is a great evil if I work for all of this and I hand it off to." one of my children if I hand it off to my business partner they didn't work for it like I worked for it they're going to blow it and it's all going to have been for nothing this is vanity verse 22 what has a man from all the toil and striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation even in the night his heart does not rest this is also vanity how many of you would describe your work life as vexing? Anybody? Just me. I'm the only person in here. Cool. I love being lonely too, apparently. Vexing. So if you don't know what vexing means, it means you're grumpy about it. It's troubling you. Now, I'm a huge fan of um of making my work more engaging, and I love my job. As a matter of fact, I have a list of things that I read to myself out loud every day, before I do anything else. So I, I pray and do that in my bed. I pray, do my first devotion. I jump out of bed. I go to my prayer wall where I have pictures of a lot of you on my wall. Those of you who I've like told, I don't just like creepily like <laughs> So I have these pictures of you on my wall. Like if you're in my small group or something, you know I'm not that creepy. And then there's no like thumbtacks in your head. I'm not doing that. No voodoo dolls, okay. Uh, and then I pray and the, the prayers are shaped in a triangle that point over to a piece of paper the piece of paper has things that i say out loud to myself because i'm already saying things in my head to myself every day because i talk to myself i know this sounds more and more crazy don't worry it's going to come to the head uh so we're already saying and all of us are doing it whether you know it or not you're waking up on monday morning and you your inner dialogue is going to be something and if it's anything like mine has been in the past it could be something like this Uh, sometimes my inner dialogue literally just zombie level i need coffee i need coffee now and and nothing else in my world is making sense. My kids will run in, my wife will talk to me, and all I'm hearing is in my head of my like, coffee, mm, bacon. And literally I just grow bacon, eat coffee, and then all of a sudden I become a human again. And then I can talk to people. Now, I I discovered that my inner dialogue was saying a lot of bad things. I'm not looking forward to today. Oh my gosh, can I really do this today? Do I really like this? Is this what my calling is? Is this what I'm, blah, blah, blah. And my inner dialogue was negative, 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 negative. Probably because I'm studying this book every day. So I'm studying the most depressing book in the Bible. and, And this is before this though, that the negative talk will be the first voice usually in my head. Not everyone's wired that way. Some of you guys, you're positive Paulies or positive Pauls. You wake up and it's like sunshine. The flowers bloom with you. The birds sit in your window. And they're like, hello, Susie. And you're like, hello, bird. Great morning. That's not me. Not me. Bird shows up in my window. BB gun. Boom. Done. Don't poop in my house. I have the negative talk. So I have this list. I'm not going to read all of them to you because it's, it's kind of personal. And I don't want to read you like all of my personal business. But I do do want to read a couple of them just because for me, for me, this list turns my inner dialogue towards something that I think is more God centered. So, this is what I start out. And I say this out loud to myself because I am so thick headed, I need it to come out of my mouth, bounce off the wall, hit me back in the face with my eyeballs reading it, and then pummel into my ears. And maybe then it'll squeeze and eke its way down into my soul so that I can believe it for a minute. So, I stand after I pray for all you creepily going down the line, get to my paper. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to glorify him. I love my wife, Amy. I will lay down my life and serve her well today i love my children i will prepare and train them to love god and serve him with their whole hearts i am gifted disciplined creative and blessed beyond measure because of the holy spirit within me i love people and i believe the best about others because if i don't say that one i believe the worst about y'all i will only build others up today this one's hard i just added it recently i will not tear people down christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me that's for all my sins that are creeping in like the plague I remind myself out loud, Christ in me is stronger than every one of those sinful desires. I am growing closer to Christ every day. Because of Christ, my family is stronger, my faith is deeper, and my leadership is sharper. My preaching is powerful because God's word is alive, and I am gifted by God to communicate his life-changing word. And the list goes on and on and on, and I'm adding more to it, and I've taken things from pastors, I've taken things from the old dead guys, and I'm like, I need this, I like this, I throw it up on there, and I spit it back in my face every morning, because if not, if not, I get to this point that Solomon is at right here because if I don't put God in the center of everything if I don't remind myself first thing in the morning last thing at night in the middle of the day that God is everything then this is where my heart lands this might not be you naturally but this is me and I have a feeling this is a lot of us where work is a vexation where we toss and turn in the night because we cannot sleep, the stresses are too high, the marriage stress, the job stress, the parenting stress, whatever the stress is so high that we're not getting rest and we're not finding our hearts satisfied in God. So I have to do this routine and not everyone's gonna be as anal retentive as me, I get that. Like not everyone, their clock doesn't tick to my, my talk but you guys need to find what works for you. Because here's where Solomon keeps going. There is, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So Solomon says, if you find joy in your toil, that is good for you. There's nothing better. This also I saw is from the hand of God. So God wants us to enjoy all of the work of our toil, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? The answer is no one. It's a rhetorical question. Verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. So we have this little glimmer that Solomon's getting at. This, one, this glimmer is what's going to bring us home. Solomon wants you to know. That we are created to enjoy the good things God has given us. There's these weird poles in Christianity. We're like a pendulum. And the pendulum swings from one side to the other. And it does this in a variety of ways. You go from the very conservative churches that want to just lay down every law on you. And then the pendulum swings. And it goes over to the churches that say, everything is okay. Do whatever you want. Sexuality is up to the decision. And then it swings. And it swings. And right now, The pendulum is swinging. Right now, the pendulum is swinging in our culture in regards to what it means to enjoy God. And there's a hundred other areas, but I'm specifically because this text is talking about this. The pendulum is swinging because there's a camp that says, you you can't keep anything that you have. Everything that you have, you, you can't keep it. Don't enjoy it. Give it all away until you're just in rags and you've given all your stuff away to help the poor. Now, I like the people that God has called to do that. That's not what God, I believe, has called everyone to do. At least not as I see it in the Bible. Because then there's, the pendulum swings the other way. And we've got a lot of people who say, everything in your life is for you. Everything in your life is for you to be enjoyed, to give thanks. It's all for your kingdom. It's all for your house. Now, the problem with pendulums is that they keep on swinging. And it's rarely ever in the middle. And I think in this case, If we are to live with actual joy in our hearts we've got to find the balance that god has for us where god has gifted us if you live in this area if you could drive here you're insanely wealthy if you couldn't drive here but you ubered here you're still wealthy if you can't even uber here but you could walk here and you had shoes on your feet you're still insanely wealthy on a global standard some of you are thinking well i didn't walk here with shoes on my feet if you walk here with bare feet because you left 10 pairs of shoes at your house, you're still insanely wealthy. God has blessed us so abundantly. And part of his plan, part of his heart is that we would enjoy the stuff of this world with him at the center of it all. That we would understand that it is only by having God at the center that any of this stuff makes sense. The party scene, It's okay to party. I love a good dinner party. If you wanna see me in the best mood you've ever seen me, it's a very simple mathematical recipe. It's steak, plus wine, plus carbohydrates. And then maybe if I'm feeling frisky, plus some fruity ice cream at the end, done deal. I don't need anyone else there for me to be happy. My wife doesn't even have to be in the room. If you add my wife, that's a bonus. If you just invite me, still be happy steak plus wine plus a carbohydrate plus a fruity ice cream but here's the thing if we don't put God in the middle of partying we're going to struggle finding true enjoyment because the laughter the pleasures the bands they get old we know they do which is why we get new ones and go listen to new ones and it's constantly new ones that never end up satisfying for long so we find new ones God says bring me into the center of your partying You know what happens when you bring God into the center of everything? Everything changes. When I was a middle school teacher at a a private Christian school, yes, someone let me do that for an actual job, I was a Bible teacher, so it made some more sense. This was right when the movie The Passion came out, and I cut out a picture of Jesus from that movie, Jim Caviezel, The Count of Monte Cristo. I cut out his head when he was on the cross, and I gave this assignment. This is pretty sick to all the middle schoolers, like 150 middle schoolers. I said, okay, you're going to safety pin this picture of Jesus to your shoulder for a week. And I picked the perfect picture, because so I made them all put it on their left side, I think it was, because Jesus was looking up like this. I said, for a week, and just journal every day. I didn't know what I was doing. Journal entries were incredible. I said, how, how did it make you feel? It made me feel like Jesus was always there. Well, I taught him one good thing. How about when you were tempted to sin? I couldn't sin. Why couldn't you sin? Because Jesus was right there. I taught him two good things. So now take off, the, take off the Jesus. Well, I don't know if I want to take off the Jesus. Why not? Because Jesus won't be there. Okay, I failed at that one. So when you bring Jesus into how you live recreationally, it changes the way that you party because you're no longer parting to the end of the wine bottle you're parting to the end of the enjoyment of God and others to love God and love others by the way that you're parting when you're building toil toward God at the center so you're not building a castle for yourself you're building within mind the thought of what can I build that will sustain my family so that I can still help others when they are struggling and in need when you're going off past the toiling age and you're in the retiring age your life has to be more than just collecting seashells and putting them in the glass jars with dead sticks so that a Pinterest post can be made. Because if that's the end all. It, it's like you've slowed down at the race and I, this is probably the biggest tragedy and I know that right now this is just an arrogant man in his 30s talking to people who are older. But my hope is that I will not simply stop doing stuff when I get into my 70s 80s if I make it that far. God has set us on this race. And here's how I see us, so many of us running. We get fired up in youth group and we're sprinting. Then we get to college and we slow down our walk with God. And we maybe turn around in circles and get confused. And then we have a couple of kids and we're like, oh, my kids need Jesus. I don't want them to be heathens. So we start running the race. And then some of you get gripped by God and you start running for God. You're helping people. You're pushing back darkness in this world. You're, you're taking your Bible seriously. You're reading your Bible. You're giving generously to the poor, to the church. And then some of us retire and we've been running for God. We're exhausted. Our kids are out of the house and we think, oh, I'm just gonna sit in my chair for the rest of my life. Just click on through. And it's crazy to me because I've been to a lot of races and I've never seen a racer get to the end of the race where they can see the line and just say, I'm going to take it easy from here on out. I've never seen that. Paul says, run the race. Finish the race. Those of you who are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, you're you're closer to the end of the race than you are to the beginning. So press in. Press in for the sake of Christ into the goal where you put him at the center of everything so that your kids will be changed, your work will be changed, your retirement will not be simply sitting in front of a TV or sitting on a beach collecting seashells, but taking the darkness in this world and pushing it back so that God's light and love can be seen throughout. Now, it's the one who pleases God. This is what Solomon wants us to know. The one who pleases God. You know, there's only one way to please God. To look to the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek them. That's Hebrews 11, verse 6, the hall of faith. If your faith is not in Jesus this morning, if what you've been doing is playing a game of I want good advice and then I want to leave, This is not a good advice club it's a good news family the good news is jesus starts your faith jesus will end your faith he will bring it to fruition jesus must be the center of your faith and jesus is the only thing that when you're rooted and grounded on him will make sense of this crazy world we're living in because without jesus i don't know how to process the fact that at any moment in any city in america 50 people can get killed At any moment, a singer who is one of the the kindest people I've ever watched from a distance can be murdered senselessly for no reason as far as the cops know at this point. In this life, it doesn't make sense to me why I would just build something unless there was a purpose from God behind building it. So ask yourself, what is the purpose that God has for me? What is the purpose God has for all of my life? And put faith in the middle of it all not pursuing the parties, pursuing God-centeredness in the parties, not pursuing building your castle, but building God's kingdom, not pursuing a restful season of life, but pressing on until we cross the finish line with our arms behind us, running into Jesus' arms himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, there is a generation of us out there that are seeking pleasure, and we think that's the end of it all. And... Soon, very soon, we are going to discover that those pleasures leave us empty. I pray that it would happen sooner than later so that we would all turn to you in faith. God, it is your goodness and your glory that I want to see in my life. Jesus, be the first in all of our lives. Make our lives about you as we pray for dads this week. Make our lives about you as we share the good news this week. Make our lives about you as we imagine what it would be like if we put you in the center of everything. In Jesus' name.